you're listening to the Thriving Mom podcast. I'm life and nutrition coach Ume Uguta, and I'm here to help you create the motherhood of your dreams without sacrificing your health and well-being. On this podcast, we dive into mindset, strategy, and skills that will help you stop surviving and start thriving in the beautiful chaos that is motherhood. Are you ready, mama? Let's journey together. Well, hello, Thriving Moms. Welcome to another podcast episode. How are you? I am feeling pumped and ready to go today. This episode is our last installment of the Rethinking Motherhood series, and I hope you've found so much value for the past four episodes. I've just had so much fun recording them for you, and I hope that you've gained something valuable that you're going to take to support you on your own motherhood journey. Today, we're going to talk about building self-trust and how to have your own back, and it's going to be amazing. But first... Last week, I released my 100th episode of this podcast. (laughs) And it's so funny because technically it was 99, but I remembered that I had a bonus episode. So it was the 100th episode and it didn't even occur to me until I saw the email from Buzzsprout, which is the platform where I host. And I was like, oh, okay. But then I was like, no, yes, okay. Because my natural tendency as a go-getter is just to rush over things and not spend time celebrating because we got things to do, we got goals to meet. (laughs) But I've been learning to celebrate my wins no matter what, just like I teach my clients to do. So what I did instead was I took a step back, I did a dance, I had some ice cream and brownies, and I just reveled in knowing that I had put out 100 episodes of my thoughts and opinions into the world. I've had some amazing guests on this podcast. I've shared so much and I'm just so proud of the work that I've done and I can't wait to serve you more. So that's my little celebration for 100 episodes. And what does this have to do with having your own back? Everything, my friends. Think about this. Have you ever had that moment when you wanted someone to believe in you so much they didn't? I bet you have. If you've been a mom for a minute, you know this. Even if you're not a mom, we've all had this experience. And when people don't believe you, how do you typically feel about that? Probably having a lot of negative feelings about it. (laughs) Maybe you said some choice words and maybe acted in a way that they would for sure know that they messed up, right? But here's the kicker. You're the one who did not have your own back. And that's why it hurt. I know, it's crazy. You did not have your own back. And I'm going to tell you why, and I'll show you in this episode. And once you know, you can't unknow. So for example, I often see my daughters argue over things. And I think to myself, why do you waste your energy trying to convince each other when you can just believe yourself and move on? Sounds simple enough, right? But when we come back to it, us wanting people to believe us is not the problem. I think the bigger question we need to ask ourselves is not, do they believe me? The bigger question is, do I believe myself? Do I believe this experience that I'm having, the emotions that I'm having, the thoughts I'm having about this experience? Do I believe it? And if I do, what's the feeling that that's creating for me? And why do I need somebody else to validate that experience? Right? Because the reason we get mad, it's usually because we're seeking external validation. And when that doesn't happen, that's what activates our sense of insecurity or deeper need that we were looking to fulfill 
So then we want to convince people so that we can feel better. And that's it. If you stop listening to the podcast here, you've changed your life, my friend. But there's more. (laughs) So what do we do now that we know that trying to convince other people to believe us is a sure sign that we don't have our own backs? First, you want to just start paying attention to the times when you feel the need to convince people. Just notice that awareness is a key piece because if you don't know, then what are you trying to address? So I'll share an example that I've had quite a few clients share with me. And it's this thing where we're all home, your partner's home, you're the one watching the kids, partner's probably off on a phone or on chatting with somebody else. And then you want to take a nap or you want to go pee. (laughs) And then you take permission before announcing your exit. (laughs) Does this sound familiar? And this is not a reflection of who you are as a woman. I just want you to know that it is a conditioning that we've all received to be responsible for managing other people's expectations of us. And that's why for so many of us, it looks like people pleasing, perfectionism and performance for that validation. A part of you knows that you're going to be hard on yourself if you feel like you did not meet your partner's expectations, which by the way, you may have not communicated to each other. But in this case, because you've taken on the role of mom, because you feel like it is your responsibility to watch the kids, you feel that need to take permission, but not in like a good way. You're just like (laughs) low-key angry. And it's not their fault. It's not your fault either. This is just our conditioning. So you really want to pay attention to things like that. Pay attention when you feel the need to do that, when you feel the need to convince other people to believe you, what's going on. And then you just want to state the neutral circumstance. So one of the areas that I work with my clients on is their self-image. And this is just how they think about themselves and how they would like to be. And because of our conditioning as women, we often have a tangled mess of who we think we are in our lives. And so many times this clouds how we see things happening around us. So a lot of our work is just starting to separate who you are from your worth and who you think you are and stop making things happening around you mean anything about you. So in essence, my clients learn to see themselves for themselves. And so I think about this with my own experience with pelvic separation when I had my second daughter and it got worse with the third one. So I started seeing a pelvic floor uh, physiotherapist and after like a year, he pretty much just told me there was nothing else he could do for me, which made me feel like the worst woman ever. Like I was so angry and upset at my body because I thought if I did all the right things, if I did what I was supposed to do, for sure, I should see an improvement, but nothing was changing. And then we moved to Yellowknife and then I saw another physiotherapist and she was the first person who actually believed my pain it was so interesting because she saw me and she said you know I don't see any physical injury but I think that the work that you need to do is to work with your brain to bring safety back and just keep pushing the limits of your pelvic floor reminding yourself that it is safe and it's so funny because before this experience what I would do is every time that I was feeling pain I would like sulk and I'd be upset and convince my husband that I was in so much pain. So he just needed to do stuff instead of just saying, you know what? I need help and moving on. 
I did not need him to validate my pain. I did not need him to acknowledge my pain. I needed to acknowledge my pain and validate my own pain. So that was a big lesson for me. And because I was able to separate myself from that experience, I was able to separate the pain from me, knowing that I was still worthy of just being a human, despite the pain that I was experiencing, it made me take it a lot easier on myself. And then I was more comfortable asking for help and seeking help to address the issue. So of course, it's been five years since then, and I barely ever have pain. Sometimes when I feel the pain coming, I know what to do. I know who to go to. I know the help that I need to seek. And I don't have to explain to my husband. I just say, you know what? I'm going to need you to do this so I can rest. And that's it. And I'm not thinking that my body is wrong because I know that my body is always on my side. Remember to name the neutral circumstance and separate yourself from that circumstance. And next thing, you just want to learn how to hold space for you to feel whatever emotion it is that you're feeling without depending on somebody else. You might think that this only applies to negative emotions, but it doesn't. It applies to all emotions. And the difference is typically the level of intensity. So we're familiar with our negative emotions, the emotions that sometimes don't feel really good in our body. When you're feeling extremely upset, you know what to do. You lash out, you might be upset if you don't know how to process your emotions and that's okay. But when you're feeling extremely happy, what do you typically do? Sometimes we brush it over and we move on or we find an avenue to express it to other people. So you either call a friend and tell them or you post it on social media or you just do something externally to validate that extreme happiness. And you'll notice this when you say things like, I don't even know what it feels like to be happy. I remember a client who said this and I said, well, let's play back your days and see where the moments of happiness may have occurred. And she just gave me a few circumstances and we started exploring. She actually was experiencing happiness on a day-to-day basis, but because she had not taught her body how to feel happy, she hadn't taught herself how to embody happiness, it felt foreign to her and therefore unsafe. But feelings like anger and disdain and disgust were very familiar because she had learned to embody them. And this has nothing to do with my client. It has nothing to do with you if you feel this way. It's just that you have learned to outsource your feelings. You haven't learned the skill of being dependent on yourself. You have just learned to outsource validating your feelings and your experiences on other people. So here's what I want you to do. Before you tell somebody else when you're having any extreme happiness, even if it's not extreme, just take a moment and let it sit in your body. Not in your head, within your body. What does it feel like in your arms, in your belly, in your chest, in your legs, in your feet? Do you feel tingling? Do you feel warm? How does it feel in your body before you share it with somebody else? This changes everything for you. Because when you learn to handle all the emotions, no matter the intensity, you expand your capacity for safety and grounding yourself, knowing that you can handle anything. And I I was thinking about this the other day when my client was saying that she was waiting for me to give her the right answer. We were problem solving around something. And I told her, I said, you already know the answer. I'm just here to help you find it. And eventually what we found out was she knew the answer. 
She was just worried that she wouldn't be able to handle the relief and happiness that she would feel after making that decision. And that's why she didn't make the decision in the first place. She was like, oh, I'll just wait. And then she kept giving herself excuses. But with coaching, we were able to find the real reason. So then our work wasn't, okay, well, let's start making some decisions. Rather, it was, let's start playing with making the feeling of relief and happiness feel safe for you. That was our work. Because once that safety was built, then it was easy for her to make a decision and say, this is what I want to do. This is when I want to get it done. And she was just like going once that was done. And I think this is where the power of coaching comes in because sometimes you think, well, because I have this excuse, I'm just going to wait till the time is perfect. I'm going to wait until I know. Sometimes you already know. And a coach is going to help you walk through that decision-making process to make it a lot less painful for you and help you explore your options while they coach your brain. So for me, that's the fun part. I use my public health experience and I'm always asking what else could be true for you? Does that mean it's the truth? Most times it's not, but your body thinks it is. So we work with that. We do the thought work, but we also explore with other tools that help bring safety back to you and help you know that no matter what, you can celebrate yourself, you can cry and sob too, and it's all safe and it's all okay. At the end of the day, you still get to make the conscious decision of whether or not you want to change. That is where your own empowerment comes from. That's where your autonomy comes into play. But you do all of this while knowing that you're not wrong for being you. You're not wrong for thinking and believing the way that you do. And you don't need changing. Rather, you choose to change. And you can pick and choose whatever you want to change. And you love yourself through the process. That, my friends, is how you learn to build self-trust and have your own back. And it's a beautiful and juicy place to live in, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your experience is. So have a beautiful week, have your own back, and as always, keep thriving. Thanks for hanging out with me. If you enjoyed this episode, I want you to take that work deeper and implement one thing that you learned this week. And if you'd like to take this work further, come work with me inside my coaching program. You can go to oliveandbliss.ca to learn all about me and how I can support you.